0: Welcome back to Panini's and Prattle, where we dish out sizzling sandwiches and insights to American literature. This episode, we take a look into Frederick Douglass' narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass and Harriet Jacobs' life of a slave girl.
1: The first story that we looked at today is the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. Douglass wrote this um, about his slave right life from his early years all the way into his adulthood. He goes over how he was transferred between all his slave owners and handlers and the experiences he had with them. One of the main focuses of the story is his journey of learning how to read and how it um, helped him gain his freedom and understanding of life. And after that, he talks about his experiences with slave breakers and how they tried to break his spirit and his attempts from escaping into the north with his audience douglas tries to pander towards the white northerners who don't either don't know about the harshness of slavery or those who did but only thought it was a southern issue
2: yeah a lot of the white people who he was addressing it was kind of a big like eye opening moment for them because they really didn't know the severity of what was happening down south. And so I think it's really important that Douglas, like, catered to them so that they understood.
1: It was one of the main stories that really started the abolitionist movement. And I personally didn't really have any criticisms with Douglas's writing, except that the chapters did seem a little disjointed from uh, each other sometimes. And for praises, one thing I thought Douglas did a really good job of was knowing his audience and playing to their thoughts and emotions without offending or angering them. He knew that the, a lot of them were very heavily Christian, so he played that into his writing a lot. He also talks about how um, slavery as a whole was an issue to everyone in the United States, not just the South. One way he does this was with Uh, chapter 6 he describes his new owner as a woman of the kindest heart and finest feelings she had never had a slave under her control previously to myself but then uh, just a few paragraphs later he writes that cheerful eye under the influence of slavery soon became red with rage and that voice made all with sweet accord changed to one of harsh and horrid discord and the angelic face gave place to that of a demon This shows how slavery could corrupt anyone and anything, even the nicest people like Mrs. Elwood.
2: And I think he does a really good job, too, of, like, making sure that he's just not ripping on slavery all the time for his own sake and not for his own... Like, obviously it was a problem for the slaves, but he introduces how slavery was a problem for not only the slaves, but for like the masters and mistresses and
0: other people. I also thought he did a really good job since like we really cannot relate to slavery and all the harsh things that he and other people went through. He did a good job of comparing it to things that we can visualize and have seen happen um, just so we can get like perspective on what he went through.
1: And going back to what Caitlin said about not always ripping on slavery, he did talk about like how sometimes his slave owners were nicer than others but and so that way then it then not seems like he was just hating on slavery to hate but he was trying to make an educated discussion
0: the other piece we looked at was life of a slave girl by harriet jacobs harriet jacobs was born a slave but she had a very nice slave owner and mistress jacobs admit that she didn't admits that she didn't know or feel like she was a slave. She says in her piece, Though we are all slaves, I was so fondly shielded that I never dreamed I was a piece of merchandise, trusted them for safekeeping and liable to be demanded of them at any moment. Soon enough, Harriet's mother passed away. Her mother was a highly respected slave. Soon after, the kind mistress also passed. She said, As I saw the cheek grow paler and the eye more glassy, how earnestly I prayed in my heart that she might live. I loved her, for she had been almost like a mother to me. When the mistress died, she made sure that no, one, no harm would come to the Jacob's children, and Harriet was given to a five-year-old. From here on, Harriet played with the little girl, but behind the scenes, her master's father, Dr. Flint, was verbally harassing her with crude remarks. Harriet soon fell in love with a single white man, Samuel Sawyer, which enraged Dr. Flint. Sawyer tried to buy Harriet from the Flint with no such luck, so Harriet became pregnant with Sawyer's child. Then being pregnant with another child, Harriet was forced into hiding in a tiny, tiny space with a little crack from which she could watch her children grow up. Um, I think her audience was the northern white woman, because she, like, directed it towards women in general, and they were the ones who had influence and power over people to, like, make things change, If she had just directed it towards black women then like nothing would have happened from this nothing would have came from it um, because they have no power and no say on anything or they didn't at the time and so she directed it towards them to hope that something would change from her tragic story
2: and i think that like her point of view a lot of things happened to her as a slave girl that only happened to her because she was a girl like the harassment from dr flint and like the deal with her getting pregnant and everything like white men from the North, they can't relate to any of that. And it, it's also hard for white women from the North to relate to that, but they can imagine it more. And like, they can see how they would have felt had they
0: gone through something like she had. Yeah, when she had her first child, it was a girl. And she said that like, it's awful enough to be a slave, but it's even worse to be a slave girl because of all the things that could happen to you from your masters. Like, it just doesn't happen to the Mm -hmm. slave men as much. Um, I don't really have much criticism for Life of a Slave Girl. It really just, like, had a lot of description in it, which made it seem more realistic because none of us lived during that period where this was happening. So sometimes it seems like it almost didn't even happen because we don't really, we don't have segregation and we don't like see black people any different so it's just like hard to imagine sometimes what these people went through so I felt like her descriptiveness helped a lot with that
2: and there's still racism and everything but it's definitely not as prominent as as bad as this yeah for
0: sure
1: it wasn't systematic racism
0: yeah like we don't see it at school every day like they did when they first integrated schools and all that
2: yeah so this is a really good
0: way to give us an insight to how that was Mm-hmm. I thought that Life of a Slave Girl was a very well written piece of literature she, she utilized the rhetorical vice pathos well she made the audience angry and strongly disliked Dr. Flint and at the same time made the audience feel bad for her and the things she went through as a teen sometimes like I forget that when she went through all this she was only 15 because she just seemed so mature for her age and like I know I could never go through anything like that now um she also she just experienced so much cruelty before she was even an adult. She was faced with tough decisions regarding her life, Samuel Soar's life, and her children's life.
1: And another thing that she does is she doesn't really try to hide anything or paint her life in any good measure because when she first talked about getting pregnant, she was very upfront about it and how it was a mistake and how what she her actions were not good at all but um her condition made her feel like it was the only choice she didn't try to sugarcoat it she just said how it was
2: that being said too i thought that she did she used a lot of emotion and a lot of pathos in her piece in order to convey the message she wanted to to the white women like this piece was honestly such an emotional roller coaster and you just felt so sad for her mad at things that Dr. Flint did, and just hopeful at times, and then desperate at times. I thought she did a really good job of, like, conveying how she felt when she was experiencing those things.
1: Especially at the end, where she was stuck in the attic watching her children's life go by.
2: Yeah, I could not even imagine doing that.
0: She was right there, like, they, but they didn't know she was there, but she could, like, see it all happen. It was almost like, torture of her because yeah. like, she could see it but she couldn't be a part of it but she knew
2: that's like what she had to do in order to keep them safe and to keep her safe yes to compare douglas and jacob's pieces i'd say in terms of perspective both of them are going through slavery like in relatively similar times but they had really different experiences Like Douglas had the experience of being a slave on a southern plantation, which was a lot more physically abusive and cruel in terms of living conditions in the way that they were treated as slaves. They were always overworked and underclothed and underfed and just exhausted. And it was just really, and they were whipped all the time. It was just really cruel to them. Whereas Jacobs, Jacobs had better living conditions because she didn't have to do the plantation work or deal with that other stuff. But as a very good looking slave girl, specifically girl, she had to deal with a lot more mental tribulations, which stemmed from harassment from her master, Dr. Flint, and the crude things that he would say to her and just like always hounding on her for everything. Um, for audience, I think that the audience of both pieces is, comprom- is comprised of white northerners, Um, for the purpose of enlightening them of the horrors of slavery in hopes of getting their support and eventually getting slavery abolished and just allowing them to see everything that was going on. Um, Jacob's audience, however, relies primarily on the white woman as she used a lot of the pathos appeals we were talking about earlier that women can relate to.
0: Um, Back to the living conditions, we said that um, Harriet had really... She had like a lot better living conditions than douglas did but she said like multiple times throughout her narrative that she wished like she would have rather been on the plantation living the same life that douglas led than to be harassed by dr flint daily and have to deal with all of that because that's just how awful it was for her
2: because physical abuse is one thing but mental abuse like every single minute of the
0: day like that, it gets to be sometimes even worse. Like if you get hurt, it goes away eventually, but like mental stuff just, it sticks with you.
2: Yeah. And there's no way she could ever rid herself of
0: that. Like and she couldn't how it made escape her feel. it.
1: Another thing that really emphasizes the difference between the two stories is going back to the quote earlier, um, where Harriet said that her early life really didn't feel like she was a slave at all. She still felt like a human being. Well, with Douglas's early life, it wasn't the case at all. Yeah. Throughout both of these texts, both Jacob and Douglas both use various methods of resistance to combat their masters and slavery as a whole itself.
0: Douglas and the other slaves on the plantation with him often use uh, song as a method of su- subtle resistance. He noted how the slaves would sing to show sorrow and express themselves in the cruel, draining environment of slavery, where any other method would be severely punished. It was misconceived by many Northerners that the slaves would sing because they were content with their lives, but but it was in actuality anything but the truth. Jacob's subtle methods of resistance lied mostly than that other than getting pregnant by Mr. Sands. She resisted giving in to Dr. Flint and staying true to the good Christian values that were instilled in her throughout her childhood.
1: Another thing that Jacob said was it was a little subtle things that um how she like avoided Dr. Flint um in her early life or how she tried to stay away from him and not be alone or be either with his daughter or his uh wife.
2: And it doesn't necessarily, like, it's a really big thing for her internally to resist him as much as she did. And it's a, it shows a lot of strength and courage in her, but it was more of a subtle way where she wouldn't be outright, like sh- like, hit for doing something that went against him. She was just keeping herself true to her morals and what she was taught. Also
0: with that, um, her resisting him was really hard for her to, like, make that decision because it, like, ruined her virtue and, like, all that stuff, which is very important to her and to her family. Because when she did that to, like, save herself, her grandma was not happy with her and she, like, took the possessions of her mothers that Harriet had left and she was just really upset about it and, like, told her to get out
2: yeah, getting pregnant, which was one of the more noticeable forms of resistance and one of the like biggest decisions she had to make in her life. Um, it went com- it was so hard for her to make because it went completely against all of her morals. And you could see in the text as she over and over again was like, reader, just know that this isn't me and this isn't what I wanted to do, but I had to do it because that's what I needed to do. I needed to make sure. That my children weren't fathered by Doctor Flint and that they had a chance of having a life.
0: And it's better, it's better to give up her virtue than for it to be taken from her. Like that's how she saw it, and I agree with that.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point.
1: Because it was her choice and not Doctor Flint's.
2: Yeah. So for forms of notable resistance, noticeable resistance, Douglas's main method was the physical fight that he got in with his master. And with this, he had to risk his entire life for this act of resistance, which I think does a lot to show his desperation that resulted from slavery and like how much he was really willing to give up in order to gain some sort of respect or freedom and just to fight back. And he ended up winning this fight, which led to a little bit more respect from his master and some fear from him as well. And he didn't really... like come after him. The master didn't really come after Douglas as much as he had previously. Um, Jacob's is no noticeable acts of resistance mostly were back talking to Dr. Flint, especially when he doesn't allow her to be with the free black man that she's in love with. And she she finally stands up to him then. And before this, whenever she would resist him, he would never actually like punish her that much he she he would just say like oh look what you're missing but this time when she fought back he actually hit her and it was just a huge moment in terms of her courage I think for her to do that and then as we were saying earlier the biggest act of resistance that she did was when she got pregnant with another man's child and not once but twice too and it took a lot out of her to betray her morals and disappoint her grandmother but She's finally able to gain some control by making sure her children weren't bothered by Dr. Flint. And it really made him upset, too, which she was thinking at first that it would give her a little bit of satisfaction seeing that he was so upset about that and that she got to tell him. But it was kind of outweighed by her disappointing herself and her family.
0: Yeah, it was almost like she finally had the control in the relationship between the two of them. Yeah. Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, where we have our special section, the panini press. Today, we made the panini, which was a KFC chicken tender cooked on an Eggo waffle, where we used maple syrup, Chipotle ranch, and sriracha sauce. Yes, and we used all the sauces separately
2: and not together, because that would be gross. Yes, very disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) And so, with this panini... It reflects the literature because it represents the comfort, because it is a Southern comfort food that Jacobs and Douglas would have experienced in the South if they were white, like the comfort that their masters and mistresses experienced with their food. Whereas, like, Douglas had to eat slop like a pig. But
0: um, Harriet had a lot more... Um, She had a better lifestyle because she had a kinder mistress than Douglas did. And so her mom was able to make them crackers and such at night, which was a lot better than a lot of slaves were treated.
2: Yeah, which still, even with the crackers, it's still not good. And they did not get the luxury of the chicken and waffle panini.
1: (laughs) Well, something that we did to represent that luxury was with the different sauces. It showed the variety of food that the... Uh, Slave masters and mistresses will have had, well, compared to Douglas, he would have only had one thing to eat, and that would have been, like, the mashed potatoes or something, and only that.
2: Another connection is that we, instead of using a recipe for this panini, we decided to make our own, and we decided to put ingredients together that we thought would be good, much like... The cooking was done in the 1800s because they did not have Google to look up their panini recipes.
0: Or other recipes. Or any other <laughs>
2: recipes. They had to rely off of taste and tradition. Yes.
1: Which is also how we use very traditional southern foods.
2: Yes. Chicken and waffles. Overall, I'd rate this panini probably like a six. It's pretty solid for what we threw together. Um... I've thought i never had chicken and waffles before, so I thought it was a pretty good first experience. Maybe if it was more homemade instead of using frozen waffles and KFC chicken, (laughs) it would have been a little more gourmet and maybe a little bit tastier or more luxurious, but it was pretty solid.
0: I would also give it a 6 out of 10 because I have had chicken and waffles before and I've never had it in a sandwich form but so that was interesting to try but um i liked how the outside was crispy since we toasted it first then uh pressed it together so yep, six out of ten
1: i think we're all in agreement with it being a six out of ten it didn't really stand out but it was still good food so it was just a good nice meal
0: six is all around yes <laughs>
2: Thank you guys for listening to our podcast. Hope to see you soon on another episode of Paninis and Prattle. Adios.